How are you this Sunday? Doing okay. We're back to having a um, air quality warning in Chicago. I guess the <laughs> region of Canada that was on fire continues to be on fire. <laughs> yes, and the wind shifted once again. Yes, I did not help at all uh, yesterday. At 9 o'clock in the morning yesterday, I fired up my Kamado Joe smoker and put a six-pound uh, pork shoulder on there. And by 5 o'clock last night, we were eating, honestly... Some of the best smork, smoked pork shoulder I've ever made. Smork. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent, and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this, and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Yeah, I am a uh, complete convert. So the doing stuff on the Weber, right, with the, like, snake charcoal setup and all that works. Man, moving to a big green egg Kamado Joe-style smoker, this is a big deal for me. <laughs> nice. It, you know, I also don't think that you were um, hurting air quality. I think what you were doing was contributing to our rebuttal. <laughs> Take that, Canada. Yeah, so, you know, we have to create a wall of smoke then that fights their wall so of smoke. Otherwise, it's just... Southeast of my smoker, I should have set up a big fan to just blow my delicious pork smoke back at their, like, wildfire smoke. Yeah. <laughs> See what you're missing, Canada? This is our smoke. Oh, man. I mean, Canada's known for smoking meats, right? Like, that's where Canadian bacon comes from, which is basically pork loin that's been smoked. I can think of a dozen better things to do with pork loin, but, like, that comes from a tradition of pr preservation. So I get right, it. Right, right. Yeah. Evidently not as concerned with preserving their forests. You know, I've really, I should have looked into what the heck is going on up there by now, but I've just been hearing, oh, it's climate change, and then I just stopped thinking about it, because that tracks, right? Like, we have seen in the city of Chicago... Uh, weather patterns that are bonkers and bonkers like within the scope of my life I've never seen ah, it's gonna be thunderstormy today okay and then within an hour oh there's four tornadoes sorry like no warning whatsoever kind of thing so yeah, yeah. when when it was just like oh no Canada's super dry because of climate change I'm like yeah, yeah yeah I get you whatever now it's just on fire I guess forever <laughs> well I think the other the other side of that coin is that um, because it's it's Canada, and they have a lot more um, unpopulated land. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, um, west here in the States, you know, some Montanas and places where it's, it's uh, you can drive for, you know, hundreds of miles and not see another living soul sort of situation. So they're like, yeah, it can burn. It's okay because <laughs> nobody's there. Yeah. Which makes it also hard to get to to put the fires out, but also no people are in danger. So really, the moose have to fend for themselves. It's a low priority. Yeah, I hear that. But, uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And we are neither a Canadian podcast nor a weather podcast. <laughs> uh, however, um, in as much as I have tried to spend as much time outside as I possibly can 
because I have this big old backyard garden going on. There's this huge forest preserve near me where I was actually biking this morning. Uh, things like air quality now are more important to me, <laughs> yeah. you know, on a daily basis. Also, you know, I mean, uh, regardless of where you fall, listener, on the whole mask thing, after wearing masks, and even for me, I'm doing some renovation, and when I'm um, digging the insulation out of, uh, or letting it fall into my living room so that I can uh, um, roll it up into a tarp and put it in a trash bag to get rid of, I wear a a respirator, and I tell you what, when you take that off, you're like, oh, my house smells funny <laughs> or, or, you know, whatever it is you, yeah. you realize. So I feel like uh, um, after having sort of been away from everyone and wearing masks for a while and sort of uh, air quality becomes more noticeable as well. Right. Right. Uh, we have, Steve, a number of things to talk about today that have nothing to do with air quality. And I was wondering where you wanted to start. Well, you know, <laughs> crazy enough, I want to start with none of them. Oh, okay. um, because you may not know this, Ben, Uh-oh. but I believe today is like National Ice Cream Day. Oh, sweet. So I just have a, I found a list and I just want a yay or nay from you. Would you try it? And we have had a listener send in some uh, ice cream flavors in the past. Craig, maybe. Sure. Um, I forget exactly, but in, so anyway, we, I don't know if we'll land on any that he um, sent in because there's an ice cream company, Lewins or something, that does all kinds of crazy flavors. So anyway, just yay or nay? Are they would the you ones try who this? did the Kraft mac and cheese ice cream? Yes, that's okay. actually on this list. It's number <laughs> number one, maybe on the list. Yeah, it's Van Lewin. Okay. Kraft mac and cheese ice cream, and we've talked about that. We think we'd try it, right? That that seems pretty. Yeah, I mean inoffensive. <sighs> What a lot of this is going to come down to is expectation, right? I do not expect a Kraft mac and cheese ice cream to be good. So it's right. a real low bar for them to clear, uh, hurtling their way toward whether or not I think the ice cream is good. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. Would I try that one? Yeah. Just yeah. to say I had done it, but I expect very little out of it. Yes. I do expect it to be better than banana black garlic, but, you know. <laughs> right on. Um, here's a weird thing. I'm looking at this picture of it. It says French ice cream. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't either. It's not French vanilla. It's just Kraft Mac and Cheese flavored French ice cream. So maybe in France they have all kinds of weird flavors. Um, I wonder if it's a process thing. It could, I imagine it's got to be. I, I, and they're in Brooklyn. Van Leeuwen is from Brooklyn. Anyway, um, this one I saw on a couple different lists, um, and it's from down south somewhere. But Cheetos Flamin' Hot Ice Cream. I am going to say no, but that's only because I don't like Flamin' Hot Cheetos by themselves, and I can't imagine that it's going to get improved by being made into ice cream. Yeah. And I have an answer for the French ice cream thing. It's ice cream. So it's eggs, egg yolks, and heavy cream cooked into a custard before it's churned, uh, which is like, that's lovely, thick, rich, you know, ice cream, as opposed to something that has more of a a whole milk instead of cream, stabilizers, that kind of thing. Like uh, frozen dairy food stuffs, that's not French ice cream. Um, All right, and the the Flamin' Hot thing, I don't know if this actually counts as an ice cream because it looks like it's a marble slab sort of a situation where uh, Ah. they're just throwing the Flamin' Hot Cheetos down and mixing it in ice cream, so I don't know if that really counts. Now, how about you? Would you eat that? Um, I, I would not order it, but if someone gave me a tasting spoon, I would, I would taste it. Ah, okay. But I don't know if, I don't even know if I would be that interested if it's just a marble slab situation. Um, 
because that's like that's not really that's not crafted in any way you can you know that's like i went to the froyo place and i accidentally had cheeto dust on my hands or whatever well you could put a ham sandwich into a slab (laughs) ice cream scenario right yeah anything um all right the oddfellows ice cream extra virgin olive oil yes would try again it's a matter uh, of i'm a fan of that flavor already yeah uh, foie gras? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I would have those two side by side. <laughs> That's the same company, so I imagine you could even get one scoop on top of the other. Um, this one also doesn't sound that bad. Sweet avocado cayenne? Yes. So we're in the States, one of the few cultures that doesn't treat avocados as a dessert item, as a sweet item. And so, yeah, absolutely. There's historical precedent for that. Yeah. Uh, this one again is definitely a sounds like a sweet thing, although it, I don't know about the mix. Pink lemonade pop rocks from Max and Mina's ice cream. Yep, that uh, sounds like fun. Thanksgiving dinner from the ice cream store. Let me see if I can get a description. Uh, composed of egg yolk, vanilla ice cream, studded with tomatoes, potatoes, and green beans. This seasonal specialty is topped off with hot sauce and granulated sugar. Nope, that sounds gross. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna, again, that's not the crafting an ice cream. That's throwing things into an ice yeah, cream, yeah. and I don't think I can uh, do that. If it was like a sage ice cream with crispy bits of turkey skin in it and like a, like a cranberry, like a gelée sort of swirled in, maybe I could get down with that. But you're right. It just sounds – who puts tomatoes at – like are tomatoes a Thanksgiving thing? I don't know. Not, not in my house. I mean, they're an everyday thing, so it's yeah. not like it's a... <laughs> Some of these are definitely not weird flavors. Or at least, uh, I mean, they're maybe uncommon, but like the next one is goat cheese with red cherries. Sounds fine. Yeah, that sounds fine. Uh, vanilla with sweet sriracha sauce. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I would give it a shot just to see how spicy it was going to be. Also, it would be $1,000 because of how rare sriracha <laughs> is now. Yeah, and what is sweet sriracha sauce? I don't know. Um, they, they made that up, so, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it was a sweet chili sauce, if you were like, oh, sweet chili sauce ice cream, yeah, 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 I'm 100% in for that one. If it's the Mayploy stuff, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, strawberry balsamic. Yep, I'm in for that too. Granny sweet potato casserole. Yeah. But again, if it's vanilla ice cream that has someone's sweet potato casserole cramalammed into it nah but if it's if it's built on those flavors yeah this says um in honor of the holiday again in honor of thanksgiving so this one i think feels like it's craft a little bit more um it's made with brown sugar pecan brittle scratch made marshmallow fluff and roasted sweet potatoes yeah that sounds good ghost pepper peppermint nah spicy and peppermint together first off no gracias secondly ghost pepper is one of those things that like this is that Emperor's New Clothes thing where people who claim to like hot food are now talking each other up into such a frenzy that they're like, I like ghost peppers. My dudes, it's napalm. Like, you are subjecting <laughs> yourself to things that are banned by the Geneva Convention just to try to impress other weird bros. Nah. Yeah, I feel like they at least tried to pair it with something that was going to offset it a little bit with the peppermint, as vile as it sounds. I mean, give me toothpaste and orange, or, I yeah. mean, and, yeah, orange juice ice cream, because that's about what that sounds like to me. If, if they wanted to convince me they'd thought about it, it would be ghost pepper cucumber. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Although cucumber flavored ice cream, isn't that just ice? Yes. <laughs> uh, dill pickle. Yep. I just made a bunch of pickles yesterday. Yeah, I saw that, actually. And then the next one isn't really a flavor. It's just ice cream that looks like a potato, which I'm I'm fine with uh, the, that kind of thing. Lobsters, lobster flavor, you could not do. Right, I'm allergic to lobsters, so I'm going to have to pass on that one. All right, let's see if this other list gets any weirder. Because um, <laughs> some of those weren't so weird. Uh, sweet potato, we said yes. Habanero bacon avocado cream. You had me at bacon. Yeah. Bacon and avocado makes sense. A spicy BLT, that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, I'm in for that one. Yeah, I would definitely try it. Goat cheese beet swirl. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked at a restaurant where we would roast beets. We would scoop them out, scoop out the inside of them, pack them with goat cheese, and then plastic wrap it and let it sit for a couple of days, and the goat cheese would absorb. So, like, it would be this, like, a kaleidoscope kind of thing as the beet color penetrated that goat cheese and that was uh, uh the center of a salad that we made it was gorgeous uh the people i was working for were complete psychopathic assholes but that's the industry <laughs> so that flavor combo as an ice cream fuck yeah yeah some of these are actually pretty imaginative um ube purple yam ice cream okay i've i've made fun of not ube but the like kitschy nature of flash in the pan ube is the new cool ingredient that people in some part of Asia, because I'm sure that's where it comes from, have been using for thousands of years. Yeah. I've not tried it. So I'm going to have to find, I'm going to have, because I, no shade on the ingredient, just the fact that it's being, you know, uh, everybody's been given carte blanche to put it in everything. Yeah. I don't know. But I should probably try it at some point. It seems like a very Instagram uh, or, you know, uh, uh, influencer sort of. Yeah. Because because it's all about the color. Even this description, so I guess it's from a place in Hawaii, Dave's Hawaii Hawaiian ice cream. Well, maybe not actually in Hawaiian, because as we know from the Texas Pete lawsuit, yeah. uh, Dave's Hawaiian ice cream isn't necessarily from Hawaii. But it all it says is vanilla is combined with the yam to create a rich purple color. <laughs> it doesn't say uh, a rich flavor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all, all I'll say is I will try that, because it's, I, I should have it at some point. One of the flour distributors that I go through for my bread baking supplies has an ube powder that apparently makes your bread like super bright purple and i have yet to try it out because again it's an ingredient that i don't know how to do justice to because i've not had it i've not worked yeah. with it well and if it's primarily being used just as a natural food coloring that's fine with me but you know what is if it yams are sweet like sweet potatoes right yeah yeah so i mean i could i can understand that but uh yeah it seems to be all about the color like, can we completely bastardize it and make a sweet potato pie out of ube and be like, ooh, look at my purple sweet potato pie? <laughs> I imagine. You just got to get some of them purple yams. Oh, speaking of, I had some sweet potatoes. Sorry, I'm just going to brag real quick. I had some sweet potatoes that were just about to go, right? I could tell that they were getting a little dehydrated and whatever. I roasted them, and then I made a salad out of those and some lentils that I cooked and some corn that I had already cooked Onions, garlic, red peppers, and uh, cilantro, olive oil, lemon juice, and uh, honey. And it was really good. And I was very excited <laughs> about it. I don't generally make, like, composed salads at home. I do a lot of that shit at work, but I don't generally do it at home. It was really good. I was proud of myself. <laughs> nice. Uh, would you have uh, had with it some horseradish ice cream? Ooh, horseradish ice cream kind of here for that but again i'm just a huge fan of horseradish so mm, why not like a ice horseradish cream. black pepper ice cream give me that <laughs> ice cream that clears your sinuses <laughs> right 
uh, kimchi ice cream? No. This is the situation <laughs> that I knew we were going to come to, which is I like kimchi so much, I don't want ice cream made out of it. Yeah. That feels weird. Right. Um, and, and that also doesn't seem like a whole lot of planning. It's just, you know. Well, again, um, that seems like, oh, kimchi is the new cool ingredient that people have been making for thousands of yeah. years. But, you know, in Omaha, they've never heard of it. So we'll put it in an ice cream. Uh, summer corn ice cream. I don't know what summer corn is. It doesn't say sweet corn. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. And I've had a version of this. There's a restaurant, in the restaurant, there's an ice cream place called King's Cream in Puerto Rico that my wife used to go to when she was a kid. And when we went there on one of our trips to Puerto Rico, she had me try their corn ice cream and it was delicious. Nice. Um, that just names a person, I think, for that one. A garlic caramel swirl. No. I would be reticent after my last garlic yeah. experience. I mean, there's a lot you can do with garlic, and there's a lot, like, alliums in general go well with sugar, because that's where caramelized onions come from and that sort of thing. But, like, garlic... I... Leave garlic alone. I also, like, I feel like for some of these... So the last one on that list is wasabi, and we can uh, end it there. I guess that's very nope. similar to horseradish. Yeah, I don't know why, but my gut says no to wasabi ice cream. <laughs> well, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, okay, it doesn't look that different than just wasabi. Um, <laughs> but for some of these, I'm like, why do we have to call them ice cream? Um, if Because some of them are like, okay, you've made a frozen thing that maybe would be good uh, like uh, on something else. But yeah. ice cream, I think of dessert or something else. So, like, some of these might be delightful, but not if I'm thinking dessert. Look, wasabi is not the end game, right? So, like, right. if you want to make... <laughs> let's say you're like, you know what would be cool? Sushi ice cream. Everybody's like, you're high. What are, you, what are you talking about? Let's say you, when you're making your custard, you steep nori in your heavy cream, right? And then you strain that out. And then when you're making the ice cream base, you're adding wasabi and you're adding sesame oil. Okay. If you've got a nori <laughs> sesame oil wasabi ice cream, I will eat that. Especially if it's got like a little bit of uh, like a, like lime juice, a little citrus, a little yuzu maybe, something like that. But if you're just like, yeah, asshole, here's some wasabi ice cream. Like, nah, that's you're clearly on a mission to just make it hurt. You want ice cream that's painful. <laughs> nah, no gracias. Yeah, and that's just like you're tricking people. Or you want those people that are the bros talking each other up about yeah. the hot stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's a gimmick. Right. So. Anyway, put that some, was our put little... Put some fucking thought into it, man. Make yeah. it into a presentation. Well, and speaking of, so Kayla and I just made a trek down to um, Warsaw, Indiana, so we could get some Bluebell ice cream. Right on. They have a Java... Java... Oh, I forget what exactly what it's called. The Hut. Um, no, maybe it's just Java Jolt. Maybe that's what it is. Um, uh, home Run. Knocked it out of the park. Nice. I don't know if they have it in the big containers, but they had it in a little container. That is... It's amazing. The Dr. Pepper float, very good. Huh. Um, it's like Dr. Pepper swirled with vanilla, like Dr. Pepper flavored. I mean, it tastes like a Dr. Pepper float. It tastes exactly <laughs> like that. So it's like, you know, if that's what you want, that's that's what you're getting. So spot on, great job. But it's it's not something like, I'm going to have like a huge bowl of just this, yeah. you know, for three days in a row because it's like, well, it tastes exactly like a Dr. Pepper float. And then we got... Uh, um, it, strawberry lemonade okay w which is strawberry ice cream swirled with lemon um 
uh, sherbet. Oh, nice. Um, and it's a very summer yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, but it's, again, it's not something you can just sit down and eat a whole lot of because it's very, you know, um, but the we felt of, of the new ones that we got that the, because uh, we'd never had any of those flavors before that the, the coffee one, the Java Jolt or whatever it's called, they, they knocked it out of the park. But those are all, I mean, some thought went into those. It wasn't yeah. just, let's throw lemons in strawberry ice cream and be done with it. Right. Um, they more thought went into it than that. So yeah, some of these that are just like, hey, hey, let's throw Cheetos. Like I saw one that was something in, in uh, or Mountain Dew and Doritos, which is I'm yeah. sure they just poured Mountain Dew into their ice cream and then sprinkled Doritos on top. It may have even been a gelato. It's like, well, that's you know, put some effort into it. Yeah. Well, the and your starting point for that isn't bad. But like, what do really weird people eat? Well, they eat Mountain Dew and Doritos <laughs> together. Can we make that into a single thing? But then you have to look at it like, well, what do those two things do? Doritos are a little bit sweet and they're salty and they're crunchy and then you want something to contrast that so if you were to combine those things into one thing you're sort of destroying the intimate relationship between those two items to begin with yeah uh, it's that's weird that's weird unless you serve it in a waffle cone that's made out of Doritos that you could do if you made a waffle cone that tasted like Doritos and you served <laughs> Mountain Dew ice cream in it maybe you're in the ballpark well, because one of the issues is, and I know this from a variety of ice creams I've had that have had pretzels in them, things that are crunchy when they're <laughs> not soggy and frozen yeah. aren't necessarily crunchy when they are soggy and frozen. Things that are crunchy in ice cream are like the are, are little bits of chocolate um, and other things that are intended to be crunchy when they're cold and frozen. Yeah. Um, so you have to think about textures differently when you're mixing it with liquid and then freezing it. Would you go to an ice cream parlor that specialized in all of their ice creams and cones? Like it, wa it was menu based. It wasn't like you pick out an ice cream. It was you pick out an ice cream and a cone as an experience where it's like we made a maple syrup ice cream and we serve it in this waffle cone that tastes like fried chicken. So it's chicken and waffles. Oh. Right? Like, would you go to that place? I would, but I don't know if I'd get wigged out or not. Yeah. You would have would to have, it. like, 20 varieties. And then th there would have to be a hard rule, which is like, no, 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 no. You cannot get the maple syrup ice cream in the Dorito waffle cone. Like, it cannot do right. that because it's going to be fucking <laughs> gross. Yeah, or there's just a warning. It's like, no no refunds, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> if you design your own. Yeah, there you go. There's a design your own, but it's like, if you don't like it, it's your fucking fault, and we will make fun of yeah. you. A, what would we call that place? And B, what are the 20 things that we would offer? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a project for later. I can't do yeah. all that on the fly. I feel like a place like that, for whatever reason, what popped into my head, although because I, I initially thought for the chicken one, but that wouldn't work. Like, but for one of them, just a uh, like a sweet butter flavored ice cream. Um, I don't know what you, you'd want a different sort of cone for that, not the chicken necessarily, but roasted corn, a roasted corn. You could ooh, and then you could use the roasted corn waffle cone to make like an elotes, yeah, ice cream. Right, you've got a you've got an ice cream that then tastes like. You know, sour cream and cotija cheese and uh, uh, cayenne pepper. Yeah. Now, now I'm digging this. <laughs> we should get together. We should get together a fake menu for this. <laughs> yes. When it's well composed, I think stuff like that um, can definitely work. But when yeah. it's just like throw these things together, not necessarily. So. Anyway, happy ice cream day. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm trying to figure out a way to do a chips and queso one. That'll that'll have to be. Well, have if to be you a have mascarpone a... ice cream with like salsa componentry in it and like a masa based uh, waffle cone. Well, this is where you can mix flavors. So if you have your um, your cheese, whatever your cheese you're doing, ice cream is just that, and then you have a salsa ice cream. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then the the cone is going to be the chips, right? Like a cumin ice cream that you swirl into it. Basically, you take everything that would go into salsa and dehydrate it, right? So it's tomatoes, jalapenos, onions, garlic, cilantro. You dehydrate all that, powder it, swirl it into your cumin ice cream, and then, yeah, serve that in a uh, serve that in a masa waffle cone. Now this is making me hungry. This ain't cool. <laughs> I imagine these would have to be small waffle cones. You wouldn't want to eat a shitload of this stuff. Yeah. I like it, though. Ladies and gentlemen, if you know of anybody out there doing this kind of thing, like if we're inventing something that already exists, please let us know. Best way to get a hold of us, in the weeds WBR at gmail.com, or if there is like a variety of ice cream near you that you've never seen anywhere else for good or evil, uh, please let us know. <laughs> you can always yes, find please. me <laughs> at Chef Ben Randall on Instagram, where, especially during the summer, I post all the time because I don't. I work during the summer. I don't go into the office during the summer. It's this whole, I have an awesome job working at a school thing, which I can talk about at length if you want to get a hold of me privately. Because we are always hiring. Although, Steve, I've got news about that. And we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, as well as a website that Steve runs for us. In the weeds, WBR.com, and I just updated it before we started talking. Nice. And ideally, we're going to get to a number of articles today. We'll see. <laughs> we'll <Yeah. laughs> see how that goes. Uh, and when we do that, you can always find those articles on the website that Steve curates for you. It doesn't really do it for me uh, because I've already read the articles. So if you want further information, <laughs> that's where you're going to find that. We're done with ice cream? Yep. Steve, got into hiring season, put out an ad, put out an ad on Indeed, got about 35 resumes, we talked about this last week. Not terribly excited about any of them. I had four or five that were like, yeah, your qualifications are okay. But like, I don't know. It was not bottom of the barrel, but we're talking bottom third. <laughs> Would I have been delighted to bring any of these people on? No. Would I have put a body in place? Yeah, because the beginning of this school year, ladies and gentlemen, after 20 three years in standalone restaurants and hotels and teaching and I was a butcher for a while and all that I found my way into working in uh, institutional food service I run the all scratch kitchen for a, a school here in Chicago and let me tell you it's the fucking best I don't care what anybody says it's the greatest job in the world for me in See, my industry when you when you phrase it like that what I think is that you finally took what so many people said to you to heart, which was you need to be in an institution. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> and I've surrounded myself with like-minded individuals. <laughs> so uh, we're going into this school year with my client has asked for an update of our approach to service, right? Because we, my company has sort of edged fancier and fancier throughout the last seven years that I've been working and we're hearing this from all over the country that what we need to do is get back to meeting the kids where they are we're making food that is 
more exciting and is more from scratch and all of that kind of stuff. And we're doing a great job feeding the adults, but we're not there to feed the adults. Feeding the adults is kind of a bonus thing for them. We're there to feed these kids. My kids range in, in age from 3 to 13 when we start the school year, right? Do they want teriyaki salmon? I don't actually know. <laughs> the adults do, but to the kids. So we were doing a, like a full refresh of like not even just our structure, but like our approach, our ethos, right? And my client was coming to me with these concerns at the same time that a bunch of other clients were doing that, my company in general. So it was very easy for me to tell her, yeah, sure, we'll do that, uh, which got me a lot of raised eyebrows. But I was like, no, 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 the home office is hearing this from all over. You're not alone. I can't go into a new school year training my existing staff on a new structure and not having a full full staff, right? So I'm stressing this out a little bit because not to say that I'm just getting awful resumes. I did, and I shared some of those with you. But <laughs> the ones that I was getting that I was interested in, I was only a little interested in. Then, my lead cook, who was amazing, and I hope that she works for me for the next, like, 17 years, got the ad that we put out and put it up on her Instagram, in her Instagram stories, and within about three hours, had sent me a text saying, hey, remember this employee that left in a rush last winter and didn't give proper notice, but it kind of wasn't their fault? And I said, yeah, home office says we can't rehire anybody who didn't give two weeks notice, right? And you and I have talked about this before, that I have uh, conflicted emotions about this. Because if I'm going to fire you, I'm not going to give you two weeks' notice on that either. This person left my employee at the same time that they were having to change their housing situation, at the same time that they were having to uh, hide from their significant other. Like, there was a lot going on. And on paper, this person did not give notice and is not rehirable. Between this person and myself, we uh, made a a pitch to home office and home office uh, agreed to lift that ban. And so I'm bringing this person back on, which is fucking amazing for me for a number of reasons. First off, I don't have to train somebody on how we do stuff. And so when we change stuff, everybody's starting from the same spot of like, y'all already know how to do this stuff, but we're going to change it. So that's great. Secondly, now I'm fully staffed, just like, just like that fully staffed. Thirdly, I'm really proud to work for a company that took the time to look at the circumstances of this person's egress from our employee, if I want to be super fucking fancy, and say, you know what? These circumstances were outside of everyone's control. We're going to let it slide this time, and we're going to give this person a second chance. And I am I'm tremendously proud to work for a company that does that kind of thing, that takes that kind of time and care with the employees. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that, um, a policy like that should be um – should be in place in order to uh, protect the company or or to uh, protect you, um, yeah. you know, from having to deal with some people. But it shouldn't be necessarily an, an obstacle for, you know, legitimately decent people um, being reemployed right. for situations like this. And some companies are just at, like Starbucks, for example, completely blind to like they're, they're no rehire a policy because it's a robot that's the gatekeeper right and it is so it, it doesn't care about any of the other stuff it's just like nope sorry whatever you know this this thing is ticked so that means you can never work here again yeah well there's that and it was also like it's also 
partially the way that I have structured myself in this company, right? Because I'm a known quantity in the company. We're not small. We have 350-some-odd schools around the nation. We've got three or 4,000 employees, right? For one person to stand out in a good way, that takes work, <laughs> you know? But I'm a known quantity all the way up to home office, right? When I went to this uh, conference in Nashville, the two owners are married to each other, and the husband, he was fucking with me. And that that right there was a... Uh, a testament to how well I'm known in the home office because he's going around and greeting everybody and checking their name tags. And then he got to me and he goes, what's up, Ben? And he just kept on walking. And I was like, all right, I guess that's all I get, huh? But like, that is very cool for me. That's where I want to be. Like, I want to be known by the people who own it, but I don't necessarily want them to take a lot of time with me, you know, because <laughs> too much scrutiny is never good. The first step was convincing my boss because I just texted my boss and I was like, here's my situation. We have an opportunity to do some good here. And he said, you want to bring somebody back who didn't give notice. And I was like, here's the whole fucking story. His level of trust in me, knowing that I wouldn't bring this to him because I'm not desperate. I have a month to hire somebody still. Knowing that I would that he trusts me, knowing that I wouldn't bring this to him unless I really believed in it. He just needed me to do that work to convince him. And then after that, he said, here's who you contact in home office. Tell them I've already said yes, but it is the, it is up to them. And then I had four other people. It's kind of like a panel. I had four other people I had to convince, and they all signed off on it. I got an email back from one of them saying, she's one of our recruiters, and she was just like, hey, thank you for my Friday gift, because this was last Friday. She's like, I've got one fewer venue to worry about having to help do some hiring she goes and also i feel really good about this i was like thank you i feel really good about it too and it's really nice to know this is how we operate you know yeah. let's say i worked at a restaurant like i ran the hiring at a restaurant and you had quit with no notice fuck you i'm not hiring you back right as a hiring manager and again the people who worked with that individual would need to make a very strong case the concern is of course if you've done it once, are you going to do it again? In this particular case, I'm on the hook here telling my boss, I don't think this person is going to do this again. This was a wild situation that they have now gotten themselves out of. Yeah. Well, and I mean, uh, it saves you time and money, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you, they don't have to do with a background check again, right? Right. Um, so that that that's a good thing. And just training-wise, yeah. Um, and, and the... the Starting with a full staff, but then having to train so you're still for however many weeks, you, you yeah. know, on your on your back foot. So it, on your back foot is a great way to, to say it, because I've been in places where the minute you have somebody in place, either the front of the house or the management or whoever is like, well, now you're fully staffed. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm not fully staffed until this person does their job without me staring at them, which right. is easy two weeks, <laughs> easily two weeks, if not yes. more, depending on the person. Right. Yes. As it is right now. I, like, it is the middle of July, and I have my whole, like, I can now write schedules. I can now write up my training manual because we're going to do a full day of training in August before we come back. I, I, it's, I can't tell you how excited I am about this. Now, am I jinxing it, and is somebody else going to fuck off and not come to work? I don't think so, but there is always that possibility, so I'm trying not to brag about it too much, especially to my coworkers, <laughs> all of whom are hiring, right? At the manager level right now, everybody is hiring in my district, but I'm just not going to tell them till we start school up and i'm gonna be like oh no i've had no trouble here <laughs> <laughs> well and you you'd spoken before about wanting your employees your current employees to sort of be in on the process and the fact yeah. that this came from your or through your lead cook as well is a good sign right yeah 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 so four of my staff members know this person and are very excited to have them back 
And the only one who doesn't, I can already tell just personality-wise, they're going to get along just fine. Yeah, so, yeah, it, this is this is really the best possible situation for me. Yeah. I was going to say, the person that, that isn't excited or is because they weren't there, probably, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. One of my staff members who is new, because I have two that were new last year, worked with this person for, like, three weeks, and then everything went down and it got all crazy. Uh, so they're going to be very happy. She's going to be very happy to see this person back because some of this person's job got pushed over onto her. <laughs> so she'll be able to give it back, which is going to be nice. Nice. So, yeah, that's my hiring story. Great. But you you are headed to Connecticut? Yes. Should we talk about steamed cheeseburgers before you go? So yes. You can you can be fully armed with the knowledge of this intensely gross-sounding thing so that you can go there and try it out. Yes, let's. Um, so, and I think Kayla has found something else. I'm going to text her really quickly and see, because um, uh, there was another food. Well, I'm looking at Atlas Obscura right now, and I'm going to quote from this because we talked this over via text. No part of this, they try really hard, but nothing that they say actually makes it sound any good. <laughs> quote, in central Connecticut, some cheeseburger lovers forego the grill in favor of a steamer. The result is the cheeseburg or steamed cheeseburger. A typical burger is browned in a pan or on a grill, giving it a distinctive charred taste thanks to the Maillard reaction, a chemical process that creates complex flavors. It's how the proteins change and stuff like that. I just added that part. The yeah, I always thought a Maillard was just a male duck, but... <laughs> the steamed cheeseburger lacks the burger's quintessential grill taste, but it makes up for it with extreme juiciness. This Atlas Obscura article, whoever wrote it... Uh, is Atlas Obscura a person's name? I don't think it is. <laughs> Whoever wrote it is trying really hard, but even that doesn't sound great <laughs> right yeah. off the bat. Because it is possible also to have a grilled or a seared burger that is still juicy. Like, you haven't sold me on this being unique. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. epicenter of the steamed cheeseburger is Meriden, Connecticut. The recipe has been traced back to the 1900s when it was simply steamed cheese on a roll served from a horse-drawn food cart. When a beef patty was added later, the steamed cheeseburger was born. It's a local specialty. See, and based on what we were talking about last week, we would have to say that the cheeseburger was born even before the meat was there. Yes. If you're yeah, European. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is this this is where it gets complicated and weird, and it just feels like so much work for something that you can do better over fire. Cooks pack ground beef into rectangular metal molds, which are suspended in custom stainless steel boxes that can cook dozens of burgers at a time. The bottom of the steamer contains water that heats up and cooks the meat in boiling vapor in about 10 minutes. It's a delicate balance. Burger patties steamed too long become rubbery and dry, especially since a lot of grease is lost during the cooking process. Meanwhile, chunks of cheddar cheese steam in a separate container until they become molten. Once the burgers are done, cooks slide the soft grayish patties onto rolls and pour the cheese into a gooey mass on top, along with a pile of lettuce, tomato, and condiments. The meat becomes infused with water from the steamer, leading to one juicy burger. I tried, Steve, but even read the way I just did, it still doesn't sound good to me. Well, okay, how's this? Meanwhile, chunks of cheddar cheese steam in separate containers until they become molten. Once the burgers are done, cooks slide the soft, grayish patties onto rolls and pour the cheese into a gooey mess on top, along with a pile of lettuce, tomato, and condiments. 
the meat becomes infused with water from the steamer, leading to one juicy burger. I'm so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's just, there's no, I don't know how to read that. There's no way. Be, and I also think it's so funny that they're like, eh, if you steam it too long, it becomes rubbery and dry. And But it's juicy because of the steam. It's like, uh, there is there, there's a difference. Correct me. You, you're the one with a culinary education. In my mind, there's a difference between juicy and wet. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And that's, they keep saying juicy, but they really mean like damp. Right. Yeah. It's like it's it's uh, to use the word everybody hates. Warning. Trigger warning. Moist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's like the you can't um, the burger isn't juicy if it's just covered in um, condensation. <laughs> right. That's just wet. It's a wet yeah. burger. So the, the it's got to be juicy because the 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 fat is still in there. Well, so. Apparently, a lot of it cooks out. So I'm going to read the last uh, paragraph of this. Proponents say the lack of grease and carcinogenic char makes for a healthier patty. Detractors call steamed burgers watery and flavorless. Despite the critics, (laughs) the cheeseburg draws adventurous eaters to Meriden. Ah, do I want to try it? I guess I do. Here's the thing. The Maillard reaction adds that bitter flavor, it adds the carameliness, it adds a lot of things that we sort of assume are going to be in a burger anyway. This is going to feel pale by comparison, as far as like depth of flavor is concerned. You better be seasoning that meat really well. There better be a lot of salt on there, there better be a lot of pepper, or it better be mixed in. Because the other thing is that as a burger cooks, it contracts. So I, I worry about how tall it's going to be. And it's just going to have no flavor on the inside at all. And also, you're right. It's just going to be wet. And there is a difference between wet and juicy. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like, whatever you season it with has got to be mixed in. Because even on the grill, when I'm putting the the seasoning on, I know I'm losing some of it when I flip the burger and whatever. But at least there, it's not being washed off. (laughs) Right. Um, So... uh, it's worth noting that in all of the pictures they have to support this, you cannot see the burger patty at all. You see a big old, like, blanket of cheese. And I think it's because if they were to show it, you would go, I don't want that. Because well, it, it, like, look, ah. it looks like in this burger, they, I mean, the one they have here, that there's a maybe big pile of uh, um, grilled onions or maybe steamed onions of something <laughs> under it. So it's going to be all of the accoutrements that, make, yeah. that give this its flavor. You know, it's it. You want definitely the perfect bite. <laughs> um, yeah, that includes I mean, everything. I'm sorry, but I am gonna have to have you have one of these, so you can report back. On <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do our best to get over to where they are. I also think it's funny because I didn't notice this until you were reading it that it's cheeseburg because this makes me think that this is what sunk the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's. This feels like something that happened out of necessity. Somebody was cooking these things with the equipment they had on hand or whatever. Yes. And then it was improved upon vastly, but still one stubborn person was like, no, 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 steaming is better. Like, okay, Mr. Steam, like Phil Steam was like, hey, no, you have to cook your burgers (laughs) this way. Uh, uh, Gross. Yeah, I mean, it seems like something that's like, you know, these were invented um, at a... uh, uh, um, a laundry facility or, <laughs> y- you know, it's dry like, clean burgers, like Detroit pizza. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, so this this was a place where it was like there, whatever it was, there was a lot of steam going on, and they're like, hey, let's put put the beef in this thing and we'll zip it down this line and as yeah. it goes through the steam tunnel when it gets to the other side it's going to be cooked and uh but one of the things i did see find fascinating um i don't know if it was this article or the other it was just like it, it came from a time before the the hamburger had sort of been codified in america yeah, yeah. and so there were a lot of a lot more experimentation in, in terms of how they were being cooked and so this is just kind of a uh a holdover uh, a, a dinosaur of the of the Burger Kingdom, and um, that's still being done in this one location. So, yeah, and you're right. So it is in this article where they say the steamed cheeseburg is one of several variations that survived from an era when the idea of a hamburger wasn't fully standardized. Others include the vertically grilled burger on toast, the butter burger, and the deep fried hamburger. Butter yeah. burger, classically, that's a Wisconsin thing. That's your Culver's kind of thing. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Deep fried hamburger. Ah maybe and a vertically grilled burger on toast i don't know what that means and he's <laughs> like the old toaster you're putting it in one of the old toasters and folding the things up and then just on one side is the burger the other side is your bread and then <laughs> i don't know i mean all of this makes me want to have a burger just not this one yeah <laughs> and maybe i mean maybe it's something that's really good but it it's just very different yeah um well, and I can imagine back in the day, if this was all you knew, yeah, you probably liked it. The minute that somebody threw some ground beef onto a grill, though, I'm sure everybody was like, wait, 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 wait. It can actually have flavor, too? Sweet. <laughs> well, and that was one like one of the places here in town. My sister was down uh, a while ago, and we tried, we hadn't been there, and she ordered something. And she was like, meat should have flavor, right? <laughs> We're like, yeah. So not a glowing review uh, of that place. Um so the other thing that Kayla found that we're going to try to get when we're there is the Rhode Island Doughboy. Do not um, know what that is. Well, I, I will tell you, it is. Um, it appears to be in the same, um, the elephant ear family. Okay. Is what I would say. So, Or, or beaver tail, if you're Canadian. Hang on one um, second. I do want to add about this, yes. the cheeseburg. I am happy and I am prepared to be wrong about this because I've not had it. It seems gross. But once you have it, I, I am prepared to trust your review of it. And if it's great, I am I'm happy to change my mind. Well, I will say this. First of all, I don't know what steaming cheese does. Why? Because that was the thing that was first. And it, other than just making it molten. But yeah. um, anyone that's been to Firehouse Subs, they're, they're steamed subs. So they take their, you know, they put the meat and the cheese on something. And then they put it in a little steamer huh. and get it really hot. And it melts the cheese and everything. And they put it on your bun. And that isn't, it's not like it's dripping wet. And, yeah. um, but it's, that's how they heat their, their subs when you get a hot sub at Firehouse Subs. So um, they have a method of, of doing that. Uh, but again, th th that's a bunch of meats. Uh, you know, if you're yeah. getting like an Italian or whatever, it's got all the Italian meat. So that has flavor for sure. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's not just, it's not, they're not cooking anything that way. It's just how they're heating it up. So I, I don't know, again, like I said, I don't know what it adds to the cheese other than melting it. Um, so it will be definitely interesting. I'm, I'm very curious because you're right. It sounds like it could be very bland. So we'll yeah. hopefully find out. But I'm looking at this picture you just sent me of the Rhode Island Doughboy, and it looks fucking great. It's a it's a fried. It looks kind of like my um, fried bread tacos, except with cinnamon sugar on it. Yeah, 
So she just found that that this was a thing in Rhode Island recently. So we're gonna do our best to find one of these as well and give it a go. Um, so it, may, may, it looks maybe a little thicker than an elephant ear, um, but yeah. it's it's the same. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just scrolled down and saw Iggy's Doughboys and Chowder House. Yep, I saw the same thing, <laughs> which makes me giggle. Um, so uh, so yeah, we're gonna try to give a, a doughboy. I mean, this is this is not uh, exotic. I don't think by any means, <laughs> um, um, or or like risky for us to try. Maybe they'll a have a wasabi flavored one. <laughs> yeah, that might be a little risky. I tell you, we we loved the beaver tails when we had them yeah. when we were in Canada because it was. I mean, I wouldn't couldn't eat one every day, but it was like it was a great size. They had a great variety of things they would do to them, more so than elephant ears, which I I've only ever had at a fair, and it was like, yeah. do you want this coated in cinnamon sugar or do you want it to squirt Hershey's syrup on it? <laughs> right. um, and uh, the answer is both. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and then it's, you know, bigger than your head and you can't eat the whole thing. So you better have somebody to share it with. But, uh, so yeah, we'll see what the Doughboys. It looks a little thicker. Like it's a little more to it than maybe a, uh, or, you know, at least the, the thickness. Yeah. Um, yeah. than, uh, than an elephant ear. Cause I mean, you fold an elephant ear in half and you, there's a lot there, but. One of the anyway. things that we always do, although as my kids have gotten older, right, they're just larger creatures. Uh, there's not as much fry bread left when I make fry bread tacos. Uh, I'm always going to dip a fry bread in honey. That's that's my favorite. Like after a fry bread taco dinner, instantly right into dessert. I don't <laughs> toss them in anything or, or dust them with powdered sugar, in it, but right into some honey. Little dish of honey, warm fry bread. Hell yeah. Nice. Little dish of honey is a good name for a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Every single thing comes with honey. Yeah. <laughs> How much honey do you want with that? It's not if you want it or yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. All right, so a while back, I feel like we're skipping around here a little bit, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about that we don't need to really get way into. Mm-hmm. You sent me an article, what it's like to eat a 50-course, six-hour tasting menu from Food & Wine. Yeah. Uh, you read through this entire article? I didn't. I was exhausted reading the title. Yeah, so this is a this this article is about this restaurant called The Alchemist in Copenhagen. Um, this gets into my concern about maybe there needs to be another word for food theater that's not restaurant. Yes. This sounds like an oddly delightful time doing 50 courses for 6 hours in as much as some of the courses are not food. Right? Cuz the subtitle of this is this tasting menu starts with modern dance and after 48 more courses ends in a ball pit. A restaurant is, of course, food, service, decor, ambiance, cost, all of those things together, right? I get that. But you can divert yourself so much from that that it stops being a restaurant. It stops being, I am giving you food in exchange for money because you're hungry and because i have the food right and turns into this theater thing and that's fine and that can be valid but at the same time it also turns into and sort of perpetuates this competition between like this is an awesome diner oh but you're not this 50 course restaurant in copenhagen and be like well yeah but that's to a certain degree that's going yeah i went and saw this movie and it's great oh yeah well but that's not the opera you're like well yeah it's because they're different fucking things yeah. <laughs> i think we need to draw a distinction between things being different yeah this this is a different thing yeah well so is the is the dance and the ball pit are those considered courses yeah 
Okay, this is the this this sentence really is also not a turn on for me in terms of oh let's go to the alchemist. Uh, it is a test of endurance of willpower and patience, and despite this, the experience is still meant to, and in my opinion, does evoke joy. Uh, what the hell? <laughs> I don't I don't want to go to a restaurant that is a test of willpower or patience or endurance. So it's it's even noted right in the very next paragraph of this article so i'm going to read the whole paragraph it doesn't begin with a glass of champagne or caviar as you would expect instead the experience starts with modern dance this is the moment i began to realize that it wouldn't be 50 courses of food parentheses there are about 47 courses of food but that instead some of the courses would be non-edible and all of it from the chairs to the plates to the attitude of the servers would be arranged like props in an extravagant plate again food theater yeah which is fun. Like, I'm not here to dunk on these people. I don't really right. care. I've had meals that were tasting course meals, right? I've had 10 course meals. I've had 12 course meals. I've gone to fancy ass places that do stuff like that. The courses are generally exquisite. They're usually very small. That's fine. Once you cross into, you know, this course is an aroma in the room while somebody plays a harp. This course is you jump into a ball pit. This course is modern dance. It's not food anymore. It's not about food anymore. It's about an experience, and that's fine. But it needs to have its own name. It needs to be called something else so that it's not sort of like accidentally judging places that are just doing food. Which, by the way, I'm kind of here for the food. Yeah. Uh, I believe it does have a name. It's called pretension. (laughs) It's possibly true. (laughs) Uh, one of the bites here is a freeze-dried butterfly tweezered atop a metal log, which Monk believes could be a more sustainable protein in the, of the future. Bugs? Like, people yeah, have been eating bugs forever. Yeah, you also know my feeling about bugs. Gross. Yeah. Um, it tastes like a flowery, lighter potato chip. And you get one. That's the good news. Yeah. Like potato chips when you eat just one of those. Um so, I mean, th- this, on, so- on some level, I, first of all, I agree with you. It's like, this is, it's food theater. It should be um, thought of that way and even documented that way. So that, like, when uh, French or uh, Dramatist uh, gets the script for this, it'll be, like, first performed at The Alchemist in yeah. whatever year. And these were the courses that were served and these were the actors. The, in the role of chef was this douchebag and uh, yada, yada, yada. Um so that yeah, it, it's it's theater, and on another level, it's absolutely appalling, <laughs> um, because it's so flippant with something that so much of the world needs and doesn't yeah. have, and uh, and we're turning it into a prop in this thing. Right. But I mean, that's that's always the case, even with just regular theater. It's like you know, it, so that's not not necessarily a critique. It's just kind of highlighted in in a production of this nature um one thing i will say spoilers skipping to the end it only costs about 720 dollars and i say only that's far more money than i'm going to spend on a single meal but for something that carries the potential for this level of pretension and overwrought like self-indulgent nonsense which may or may not be true right like reading this article this person is very positive on the experience but yeah some of this stuff kind of squigs me out 720 bucks is not bad. That's not bad for that t- amount of stuff going on. I would have expected it to be in the several thousands. 
Uh, so I guess there is that, that like at least it is what would be considered affordable within this echelon, this, this style of, of experience. Well, and isn't, isn't this sort of thing um, really what, or, or definitely um, was on the mind of whoever wrote the menu? Yes. Um, because when, when the guy shoots himself and they're just saying, oh, it's all just part of the experience, um, they seem to be getting more food than they would have gotten here, at least per course um in in the movie the menu um but it's it's this type of thing where it's like it's 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 just it's the experience it's not the it's not necessarily the food yeah um but it's like to enjoy this butterfly do i have to dangle upside down from a trapeze and uh (laughs) you know be having the star-spangled banner blared through a uh loudspeaker next to me that's the only way to actually enjoy this crunchy butterfly i am or i mean that's not what's going on here but that kind of situation like does the is the ball pit necessary Right. And it's it makes me wonder about the intentions and it makes me wonder about like this is this is my my concern that I always have when you have written and directed by. Is there anybody else in the room looking at whoever designs this going, "Mm, maybe that's a bad idea? Yeah, because egos run strong in my industry, really strong. And I famously tell stories about this place where I worked, where it was a husband and wife team who ran the joint. He ran the kitchen. She ran the front of the house and they had a third partner and things were pretty good. But eventually they had a falling out. They bought out that third partner and he left. And then suddenly there was nobody there to tell them that their ideas were fucking bonkers. And they started doing really sort of insane shit. And that's when I decided to leave. Like it was very shortly after that. It took me a long time (laughs) to find another job. But that I wanted to move to. But once that guy left and there was no other voice in the room, things got real weird in a hurry. <laughs> so it makes me wonder, like, any sort of a vanity... Because you cannot say this is not a vanity project. Whoever this person is who's in charge. Yeah. Which I did not look at. Well, and it's very much... Ra- it- Rasmus Monk. Right? There's no way it's not a vanity project. There's no way this person does not want to have their name all over everything in the world. Yeah, well, and there's no way that they consider themselves a chef or a cook before they consider themselves an artist. There you go. Yeah. And again, all of that can be totally valid, and I'm not here to dunk on this guy. I don't think it's a restaurant. Right. I don't think it should be considered a restaurant. I think it is food theater. It is a... What do you even call that? It's not auditorium. It's not... Like, what is that? What should that space be called? Cafetorium. <laughs> It's where we ate in high school. Yeah, I know, right? Elevated. Um, whatever that space is, it's not a restaurant. It's it's a it's a black box restaurant or food theater space. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like you know you wouldn't hire this guy to cook you dinner, the same way that you wouldn't hire Banksy to paint your house. Bingo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, not to dunk on him, not to say that any of it's invalid. I just don't think it's a restaurant. Right. I would agree. It's a, it's something else, and I, yeah, we, uh, there's need there should be a name for it. Yeah. Um. So that, well, I mean, no one's gonna get confused because someone who's hungry is not gonna look up restaurants on their their phone and be like, hey, this place is only seven hundred dollars for six let's, hours. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go there for the next six hours. <laughs> you in your ball pit pants? All right, good. I mean. When, so there is a thing called dinner theater where you have a meal and you watch a play. That's already not a restaurant. That's a separate thing. Right. Why shouldn't this style of – food service is even a stretch. This style of food entertainment, why shouldn't that have its own name? Yeah. I feel like it should. 
And also, like, I don't think it's a ball pit unless there's a child in there who has pooped their pants. Uh, yeah, it should smell a little bit like pee. Yeah. Yeah. So if that's and that's not how I want to end my meal. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't bring is, my children to this on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Dessert is the smell of ammonia in <laughs> a bunch of plastic balls. Ah. Right. And when you walk up to it, there's sawdust all over the floor where somebody obviously threw up and they haven't quite <laughs> yeah. cleaned it up yet. Or that pink stuff that smells even worse yeah. than the vomit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sprinkled on a metal log. Yes. Uh, and so by the way, that's called a pipe. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Yes, that is indeed a pipe. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever been to what you would consider to be food theater rather than a restaurant and you've had a great time, I would love to know about that kind of place. I should be going to these places on the rare occasion that I have that kind of money so that when I do speak about these things, I'm speaking from a slightly more educated perspective. But having worked in places, not quite like this, but close enough, having done fine dining, you're right, Steve. The air of pretension you have to walk into the joint with as an employee is undeniable. Yeah. Well, and and maybe it's like when I when I put on a tux, I carry myself differently. Yeah. So maybe it's one of those things. It's like when you put on that uniform or whatever, it's just like, oh, yeah, okay. When um, you shine up your tweezers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they have like uh, um, autoclave or something for their tweezers so that they're getting... <laughs> really uh really sanitized and shiny tweezers every night um so yeah hey if anyone wants to send ben um you know fifteen hundred dollars to fly to copenhagen (laughs) or what and go to this restaurant so that we can have a uh you know uh, a first-hand accounting of what this is maybe we should start a gofundme or something send ben to the alchemist and uh you know we'll jet you over there you can be there for the six hours for the meal and then jet back and you can tell us what that experience is like. I ain't eating a butterfly. Sorry. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things that I will do simply for... Like, we ate those cricket bars that one time. That was super yeah. gross. But, like, I didn't mind because it didn't look like crickets. And they, right. again, that company, I forget what they were called, did good work with their flavors. They put thought into their flavors. Yes, it was made out of fucking crickets. But, like, I'm not just going to pick up a butterfly and eat it. <laughs> I, I've gone on record as saying this. End of the world happens starving to death the only thing around to eat is bugs i am starving to death like i will simply be a dead person not gonna do it (laughs) what were those called i was wondering if they were even still around uh exo no i don't think we tried the exo bars i think it was something like chapulín which is spanish for cricket but i don't recall exactly you know oh chapul c-h-a-p-u-l yeah, I tell you what, though, what's scary is when you look up cricket protein bars, th- there's a lot of results. <laughs> <laughs> I, there are cultures around the world that happily eat bugs. I happen to not belong to any of those cultures. And again, uh, there's a lot of things that I have learned and I have accepted and I've discovered that I have prejudices. I'm, I, still, bugs, That's I'm never going to cross that line. That's gross. You know, this this is where I would draw the line, I think. I think if it's... If it's a bug that comes out of a pan, if it's an obviously dead bug coated in some sort of seasoning, I think I could do it. I ain't sticking anything squirmy yeah. into my mouth. I don't think I could do that because my uh, completely unjustified fear is that it's going to continue to live inside me and eat its way out. <laughs> right, right. Like, I've had oysters. They're alive when you eat them. 
but they ain't moving around and they're not crunchy. It's the crunchy part that gets to me. People are always like, oh, bugs are delightfully crunchy. I'm like, no, they're gross and crunchy. Yeah. The, the crunchy if the help. oyster crunches, it's because you got some shell and that ain't, yeah. ain't good. Yeah, you broke a tooth. I did see an oyster flavored ice cream on one of those lists, and I don't know what that would be like because I oysters, do they have flavor? Because you don't chew them really, right? It's no. the hot sauce and then whatever you're putting on them and you just slurp yeah. it down. Nah, they just taste like salt. Yeah. So it's salt ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could you could just have a salt ice cream and say it's oyster flavored and everybody else would be like, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> and a, a vague scent, a vague aroma of uh, of seafood while someone plays a harp. Yeah. 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 In a ball pit. <laughs> Ooh, the harpist in a ball pit. <laughs> We're borderline in a Marx Brothers movie. There you go. All right. I really am. This is a roundup. I really am trying to talk about all of the uh, articles that we've skipped recently. But this one is actually pretty important because fuck delivery services right oh, in yeah. their eyeball. So this is from restaurantbusiness.com. Oh, pardon me. Restaurantbusinessonline.com. From a couple weeks ago, or no, just a week ago. Delivery apps sue New York City over minimum wage hike for couriers. In a pair of lawsuits, DoorDash, Grubhub, and Uber Eats warned that the $17.96 hourly wage could cripple the delivery market. First thoughts. Could cripple their delivery market. Yes. Um, I mean... Uh what, well, I mean, New York does have a, would have a lot of couriers that are. Uh, I, I don't know what the law is. Does this apply to like also say uh, those that are taking documents or whatever? Not, but that's not as big of a deal as it would have been even uh, ten years ago because of the internet. I mean, everything's digital now, so you're sending a lot of that stuff digitally, right? So I don't know what else is getting delivered. Oh, I don't know. In New York. So this is as long as we're still talking about high-end restaurant theater things this reminds me of when noma said oh wait 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 if i have to pay all of my staff then my business is going to totally fall apart motherfucker yes because you have a bad business model you and i have been talking <laughs> about this for years doordash grubhub uber eats all have a terrible business model yeah. based entirely on preying on people who have very few options and consistently we see tips not going to the drivers the drivers are just barely making poverty wages it's a bad system also on the restaurant side of it these delivery apps are taking advantage of the restaurants and uh displaying their pricing wrong delivering their food cold like all of these things that they're taking no responsibility for whatsoever so officially for me at least fuck all of these guys right in their eyeball and the fact that they're saying hey if you make us pay our workers we're gonna go out of business good yeah that's fucking great i i approve of all of that now do i want people to lose their jobs absolutely not i don't want people to lose their jobs however these jobs suck <laughs> you yeah. know I, so what what's the where where's the benefit where's the benefit of keeping a really 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 shitty job yeah the these um you're absolutely right these companies are the little thing the little that you see stuck to the bottom of a shark um the shark being the restaurant industry and these yeah. things are you know just yeah um and the other thing is the, you know uh every it seems like every other day there's an article about one of these drivers that went ballistic because of um not getting tipped correctly yeah. um at someone's house or someone complaining about the the way that their food was was delivered so 
they're, they're not vetting people well, but they yeah. can't do that because they need to take anybody that they can get. Not that yeah. not that it's the majority of the people that do these jobs because some of them, some people are just trying to do their side hustle or, uh, you right. know, make a buck. But, it, it, yeah, they're not great jobs, and um, it's not good for the restaurant industry, really. And because you didn't even mention, and we, although we've talked about this before, them uh, scraping the internet and taking your restaurant information and being delivery for you without your permission, right? Making consent a fake or website. knowledge, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that sort of thing. And they, they, they're really just uh, they're 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 predatory in a lot of ways, and they yeah. they want to take money from you, and they don't want to give it to their drivers. So. This is also from that article. The new rate represents a significant raise for delivery workers who currently earn an average of $7.09 an hour before tips, according to New York City. So that's ridiculous. Yeah. Especially given the fact that we know and we've seen reporting and we've seen lawsuits and we've seen settlements of the tips never getting to the employees, quote, employees, because they're not really correct. They're still considered to be like 1099 Oh yeah, they're Casual all third workers. party because yeah. otherwise they'd have to with that number of employees they'd have to have uh, insurance offered and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, they're not considered employees. <laughs> so one of my favorite things about this is that Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats hate the idea that they would have to pay couriers an approximate rate of thirty cents for each minute they're logged onto a delivery app or approximately 50 cents per minute, a courier spends actively delivering an order. What these motherfuckers are opposed to is that somebody could log into the app and be not doing exactly any work at that minute, but still be getting paid. So Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash, don't want to pay their employees the way every fucking buddy else does. Sometimes my staff aren't doing anything. Sometimes we're ready to go, and they're just hanging out, waiting for the doors to open. Should I tell them to clock out during that time, Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash, you <laughs> motherfuckers? If you have employees and you're trying to take care of them, you're taking care of them all the time, man. Except that's not like what they're they're saying to quiet part out loud. They're saying we don't want to take care of these people at all. Yeah. And it's fucking gross. It really is. And it, it's all. Yeah. I mean, the 1099 thing, I, I was 1099 when I delivered office supplies like that's that's a common way for courier companies i worked for a courier company not for food but for office supplies and they um they were paying me per day maybe at one point because they're trying to get market share but as soon as they went to a what they did everywhere else was a like you got paid however much per delivery okay um which i guess in on some level makes sense for the business that you're delivering for is, yeah. Um, and that, but for me, I was driving to Zion, and I was going downtown, and I was going to Lyle. So it's like, I can't. This is not sustainable for me because you want right. market share up here. Because some the person that's going to Zion shouldn't also be going to Lyle. Shouldn't also be going downtown Chicago. That's asinine. Right. Uh, because most of my time is being spent burning fuel on the road um, that I have to pay for because I'm in my own vehicle. Right. So. Um, uh, and and I, I mean I don't think DoorDash and those could do a per delivery sort of situation either because I mean, their whole thing is you take the jobs that you want and you don't take the jobs that you don't want right. so because we're not telling you where you have to go um, but it's just it's not a good model that's the long and short of it yeah now talk to me about Pizza Hut because you worked as a delivery driver at Pizza Hut what did their payment 
scheme look like for you at that time? Uh, we were paid uh, hourly, so and I think it was min- a minimum wage. It wasn't. We weren't paying, getting paid like server stuff. Okay. Um, so it was minimum wage, at least, and then the the delivery charge and on all the receipts is like you know the delivery charge does not go to your driver, which is true. Um, I mean, I think there was a tiny portion of that that did go to us, but that was just for the company to recoup what. Having to hire so many drivers to deliver pizzas, sure, um, because you have that many people then on the clock. So uh, the delivery charge was really for the company to recoup some of the losses for having that many people um, on on call. And then yeah, we got we got whatever tip money um, we were given. Um, and Burger King, I mean Burger King, uh, uh, Pizza Hut didn't. It's not like they skimmed any of our tips. Like all any right. tip money that was put on a credit card or, or whatever, that all went to us. They didn't take any of that. Um, but yeah, we were, I mean, we were paid a minimum wage and it, that was one where it's like, uh, something I didn't realize before I worked, um, as a pizza delivery person is like whoever's delivering my pizza didn't just leave with my pizza to come to my house. (laughs) Right. You know, I, sometimes I would have, I, I don't know as I ever had more than four, um, houses that I was going to, um, and and if it was busy, you weren't really waiting around. Like you got back, and there was some uh, delivery, some deliveries waiting for you. And they would, there was someone there trying to route it. So that it was like, okay, you do this circle, and you'll hit three houses, and you'll be back here. Um, right. But like for Uber Eats or whatever, and it could be the same way. But the difference between uh, Pizza Hut, where I'm coming to the same place every time, picking up the food and leaving from the same place, is like Uber Eats. DoorDash and that they might have to drive to four different restaurants to get those four deliveries to then leave to go to four places that are who knows how far away. So that's just more time for the food to get cold and gross. Right, right. Well, there's that. And also, you don't have to work for just one of them, right? So you could be working for essentially all three picking up stuff all over town to then take to other places all over town. And again, there is no responsibility there's no recourse for people who are not employed by the restaurant who are not taken care of by their employer and who don't give any part of a shit about your food right so ladies and gentlemen once again while i am wildly against this from a restaurant perspective think about the quality of your food i personally never order from a restaurant unless that restaurant has a delivery system of their own right uh i will admit reluctantly my daughter loves domino's pizza i order from domino's domino's is about to lift their ban on third-party delivery systems for some reason i don't know why it's probably what you were just talking about it's probably tougher to hire full-time delivery drivers and have it be financially viable but domino's was one of the last places that i would order from i guess jets is another one jets has a fleet they have their own drivers But if I'm ordering takeout food from a restaurant and I know it's coming from one of these third-party vendors, I'm going to go to the restaurant and pick it up myself. Because fuck all of them. The restaurant is getting screwed because of charges that are going to the restaurant from the third-party delivery service. The food is not going to be as good as it would be if I picked it up myself because the people who are driving it to me don't give any part of a shit. They know they're never going to be in trouble if the food's screwed up. Yeah. The third-party delivery system is always going to blame the restaurant and there's no way for the restaurant to recoup that so as an ignorant customer i'm left to think that the restaurant's terrible when in fact they gave the food to someone who is just not 
trained and doesn't give any part of a shit about the food being good when it gets to you. And then if you yeah. don't tip them a bunch because their company doesn't take care of them, they're also angry. They may not even take your delivery. You know, like everything about the model is gross. It makes me wonder what three white dudes are making a bajillion dollars off of this so that nobody else can make any money. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the other um, causes of stress in this whole arrangement between drivers and customers, especially when it, or when it comes to tipping, is that customers want to look at the bill and tip 20% like you would at a restaurant. Yeah. That is not a good tip for a driver because at the restaurant, the server isn't paying for gas to get the food to your table. And even right. if they were, it's 20 feet it's you know 40 feet or whatever it's not however many miles so when you when you add that cost into the delivery uh, it's not you know this the tip that would be the tip if you ate at that restaurant your 20 percent is not a good tip for the driver especially when you order something that doesn't cost very much from the restaurant like if you're ordering a coke from mcdonald's because you really <laughs> like mcdonald's coke get a life and, yeah. and if you're a driver, don't take those jobs. Yeah. That's not a that's not a good job for you to be taking because you're not going to get a good tip on that. Because twenty percent on you know the twenty cents or whatever you're going to get for that, if it was just twenty percent, not paying for what you need to have paid for. My my feeling, and this has been you know years ago now, but my feeling was, uh, anything less than five dollars was not a good tip. Right. Uh, for pizza, uh, five dollars and up, I was happy with. And five dollars, I just felt was like that was that was an okay tip. It wasn't a great tip. It was it was a it was a it was a tip. It was fine. Um, but anything less than that, like for a pizza delivery, I felt was not a great. Like my feeling was, you need to at least be paying me for one gallon of gas. <laughs> right, right. So here, right now, if you weren't at least giving me three fifty, um, I was grumbling about it on the way out. Yeah. You know, when I got back to my car, I was like, I, I'm going to make a mental note of this place. And if they get a hot pizza from me, it's going to be because they were the only pizza I had to deliver. But I'm not going to rush here to get yeah. them a hot pizza. Now, pre-pandemic, I was, you know, more charitable toward the drivers because there was a segment of our population that, like, this was probably the best job they could get. Right. Uh, now, fucking everybody's hiring. I think our unemployment right now is like 3.5%. It's fucking shocking. It's not being well reported because for some reason, all news these days has to be negative and angry. Yeah. But like things are actually looking okay. And so that's great, except it's not great for employers, which means that we have a ton of stuff open. We have a ton of positions open. I can almost guarantee you you can find a better job than $7.09 driving all over New York City to deliver yeah. cold shawarma to people in a 40-story building, right? Like, there's – I don't know everyone's situation. Bet you can find a better gig than that. And so, like, maybe what needs to happen here – obviously, they're not unionized, but we're seeing a lot of union action these days, which I'm coming around on. So I'm a, I'm a pretty <laughs> slow ship to steer, but – I'm coming around on this whole union thing like maybe all of the DoorDash employees one day just need to be like, we're turning our app off today. Just see what happens. Yeah. Well, couldn't, I mean, couldn't hurt. It, it, you're going to be out $7.09. What the fuck? $7.09 an hour is um, not a living wage in Niles, Michigan, well, let in, alone in New the York 70s. City. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, 
So they have, I mean, at that rate, you have to work for all of the apps at the same time in order to, you know, make even close to a living wage. Um, I don't envy anyone that is in that position. I want us to do a whole episode about tipping, and I want us to get some servers in on it, uh, but I have not gotten my head together about it. However, I'm sort of caught in this uh, space as admittedly kind of an old guy (laughs) but at the same time an industry guy i feel like tipping has gotten a little out of control oh you're not the only one i've seen lots of articles about the tipping exhaust uh, exhaustion because anyone there's so many more people and uh, businesses are using your um uh uh paypal register or your uh square yeah square and because you can just turn on the option for tipping, they do, and yeah. they flip the screen around, and it's there, and it's guilting people into yeah. giving you more money, basically. And uh, um, I just saw an article the other day. It's like, etiquette ex- experts say, here's when you don't need to tip. And I'm like, no, what we really need to say is et- etiquette experts say, these are the f- you know four times you need to tip, yeah. not these are the times but when I, you don't need to tip. It, but you've, you've stumbled onto exactly the thing. Why the fuck are etiquette people talking about this? How about an yeah. article that says economists say here's when you should tip? Right? Yeah, yes. Because what I'm God damn it. So I have two voices in my head, right? Like there's two wolves inside of you all the time and they're constantly fighting kind of thing. I'm at a coffee shop, I am getting drip coffee, and I am buying a pound of coffee. And you turn that fucking register around and the suggested tip is twenty five percent, eat an entire bag of dicks. Right? Yeah. There's your tip. Am I offended by that from the employee who's facing me perspective? No, they didn't set the tip thing. But am I going to tip them? No. Yeah. You didn't really do anything, right? And now, am I angry that that coffee shop is paying their counter staff so little that I should feel guilted into paying that staff member directly? That's the part that I'm angry about. Yes, fine. Outside of my industry, this is where tipping has gotten out of control. I took my son to get a haircut because he was getting a um, freshman photo taken at freshman orientation for high school, right? And his regular guy, who cuts my hair too, was unavailable. So we went to a uh, hair cuttery, national haircut brand place. Soon as I walked in, like we didn't have an appointment, we just walked in and there were two ladies standing there and they weren't doing anything. And I don't know anything about their employment structure. I also don't care. It's not my, that's not my business. (laughs) So the lady says, uh, do you have an appointment? And I said, no. And she said, what's your phone number? And I said, you, why do you need that? And she said, so I can put you in the system. I said, no, thank you. She gave me immediate stank eye. I almost walked out. The level of just like disdain on her face. Like, lady, fuck off. Then she cut my son's hair and she asked him a bunch of questions and kind of didn't do what he asked for. But at this point, I'm so over this place just from the first interaction. Because, again, remember, everybody, everything is customer service. And if you can't do that part right, you're going to lose me. All right. This is the spoilers. I'm never going to a haircuttery again. (laughs) She did like an okay job, but not a great job. And the haircut was 27 bucks. And she flipped that screen around. The suggested tip, the very bottom one, was 30%. I hit the no tip button. She saw it and gave me another stank eye. And I was real close to having something to say. But then she just turned and walked into the back. And I was just like, all right, well, guess who's never coming back here? Me. And guess who's going to tell everybody about it? Fucking me. Yeah. The guy that I that my son and I get our hair cut uh, by, 
only charges a couple of dollars more than that, and he's awesome. Always wants to know about our day. Does a great job with my son's hair. I tip him usually like 10 bucks, right? I tip yeah. that dude 30% easy. I'm never going back to that place. And I yeah. na nationally, I'm never going to go back to that place. That lady fucked up that entire company for me. Does that really matter to them? No, but fuck them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. How dare you? How dare you? First off, give me stank eye because I'm not going to give you my cell phone number. And secondly, want to get a tip for a job well done on a job you didn't do great. Yeah. Get out of town. Well, that's that, that's the um, the conundrum because there's I also do not have any issue with um, giving someone in a service position um, a decent tip who I feel like I have built a um, rapport with, who I feel like does a great job, who is someone that I want to come back to. And I want them to know how much I appreciate what they do because not just because they're doing it, but because yeah. they do such a great job at it. Yeah. And I, and, and I don't want them to uh, stop doing it for me <laughs> or, or whatever. But then there's another subset that's like feels they're the people that um, they, uh, they create a website you know, for, for e-commerce, do zero work and expect the world to beat a path to their door. Yeah. Because they have a, uh, um, you know, uh, steveschcharmnecklaces.com. And uh, why isn't anyone buying my charm necklaces? All these ungrateful bastards out there not <laughs> buying my charm necklaces. But it's like, no, just for virtue of creating the thing doesn't mean that you deserve any traffic or, yeah. or customers. So the fact that you you know, went to beauty school or, or, you know, got your little certificate and now you're giving bad haircuts doesn't mean, you know, you don't deserve anything from me for that. Right. Um, and that's, that's not how tipping should work. But on the other, and that, and that's whether the way I feel, um, for like, I don't like when I worked at Starbucks, no one ever did, um, had to give me a tip and coffee shops for me, I feel like a dollar per transaction is like nothing more is needed. Yeah. Or and in like I said, I got paid minimum wage when I worked at Starbucks, so I didn't feel like I had to have a tip either. It was always nice because the added revenue was nice or yeah. the you know income for me, but I never felt jilted when someone didn't give a tip. They just spent ten dollars on a coffee, <laughs> right? You know, um, or more depending on what they got. So um, it is it is nice in that situation because um, it's nice to feel. Uh, uh, gratitude uh, be from other people because usually the people that are giving you the most grief in a, in a coffee shop anyway are the people that aren't tipping anyway yeah. so the, the people with the most complicated orders they don't tip because they're <laughs> you know usually jerks but uh, anyway if, if it's a minimum wage job at least a minimum wage job like McDonald's I'm not, I'm not going to tip at McDonald's No, I feel bad when I I mean I don't feel bad but it's like I don't tip when I go to pick up my pizza Right. If I'm picking up my pizza, I don't. I'm not. I'm not leaving a tip, and I and because I'm, you paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I drove to get it. Yeah. Um. And uh. And so I don't feel need the need to tip even when it's there on the screen. Maybe I'll leave a dollar or something occasionally, but usually I I don't tip for that. Um. So if it's one of those jobs, I don't feel the need to tip. Like there, it's like it's extra. And I the the beauty industry I know is weird, but it's like yeah. And especially, it's like no one should be no one should be giving anybody stank eye for like not giving their phone numbers. Like yeah. this doesn't need to, there doesn't need to be a record of this. It's the old Mitch Hedberg joke about the receipt oh, for right. a donut. Yeah, exactly. I'm it's gonna like, file this under D for donut. Yeah, it's like we there needs no one needs a record of this. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I do want to acknowledge 
you're absolutely right. Within the beauty industry, it is odd. And sometimes there are people who are essentially outside contractors that are just like uh, either renting a space right. in a, in a right. chair or whatever. Also not my business. That's also not like if, if that's how your barbershop works, you still cannot rely on me to pay their wage. That's not how that works, right? That is that – is, if that's how that is set up, fine. But I don't have to care about that as a customer. And you're right. The tip really is for you did a really great job. Going back to coffee shops, though, if I'm getting a drip coffee and a, and a pound of coffee, I'm unlikely to tip you. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. If I'm having you make me a latte, like a delicious latte, worthy of a tip. You're doing something, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, if you're working the counter at a coffee shop and you're making what is the tipped wage, if you're making like five thirteen an hour, damn it, that's between you and your boss, man. That's not my thing you're not bringing it to me at a table the serving part isn't happening right right so if you're making a server wage at a coffee shop but you're not doing the server part which is bringing me some shit i'm not tipping you for getting drip coffee for me right a latte i can't make myself and i will pay you extra for that shit because they're delicious sorry yeah as long as i have to make it I have milk. To, yeah i have to draw a line somewhere yeah and you're absolutely right. If I order shawarma and I go pick it up, I'm not leaving a tip. I'm paying the food price and I'm leaving. Yeah. I went and got it myself. Right. And and yeah, there's no there's no server involved yeah. and hopefully you're paying your kitchen staff a, a decent wage, but they never get the tips anyway. So right. <laughs> who am I tipping yeah. at that point? The manager? Again, we I want us to do a whole episode on tipping and, and Yeah, yeah. That's that's enough of that for today. I'm I'm getting yes, all yes. angry. Want to talk pickles? Sure. So I sent you this article, but let me start with this. I did harvest about 18 pickles, uh, cucumbers, from my four cucumber plants the other day, and I'm currently making pickles. They will be ready tomorrow sometime. I'm doing salt-cured pickles. But that's separate from this. Grillo's lawsuit claims formal, former pickle packer stole its secret recipe. Yeah. Did I send you this or did you send me this? No, no, you sent it to me. All right. So we talked about this a while back. We talked about co-packing a while back. What was that for? I forget exactly what the context was, but we talked about this, about how you can be a person who makes something like pickles, right? And then you eventually get so big that you need to have the, your thing produced by somebody who has a facility for it, right? Yeah. This company, Grillo's, I, hopefully it's not Frank Grillo's because he will go fucking kill some people, <laughs> um, was getting their product made by what's called a co-packer called Patriot Pickle. And fine. So they were, they were having their product, Grillo's Pickles, made and packaged by this co-packer called Patriot Pickle. And that was going on fine. In 2021, this is from the article in Food & Wine, Grillo's chose to stop using Patriot to pack its pickles. In May, Patriot started producing several kinds of refrigerated pickles for Whole Foods' own 365 by Whole Foods brand, and Grillo's alleges that the pickles are rip-offs of its own product. In the complaint, Grillo's writes that the 365 branded pickles, quote, list ingre identical ingredients and nearly identical nutrition facts as Grillo's. They are also around 30% cheaper than Grillo's Pickles, which are also sold at Whole Foods. So, generally, when you go to a co-packer, you 
sign an NDA with that co-packer saying that while they're making your product, they're not going to share any of that information with anybody else. And if you stop using them, they're not going to keep your recipe and such. And so that's what Grillo's is alleging here is that Patriot Pickles violated that NDA. Well, they, they had sued earlier as well. I don't know if that's what you were going for, but earlier Maybe. this year they, they sued uh, Patriot Pickle and ARKK Food Company over the pickles that were produced for the Wahlburgers brand. In that lawsuit, Grillo's alleged that consumers were being misled by the claims that Wahlburgers pickles were, quote, fresh and, quote, all natural and free from preser preservatives. So that has, um, again, I think they must have been pissed at Patriot Pickle. Uh, yeah. for poaching their pickle recipe. <laughs> I'm trying to work as many peas in because this article was very fun to read because of yes. all the peas. Um, and so they were just, they were coming at them from another angle as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, is there any pickle that's free from preservatives? You can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't consider regular like kosher salt to be a preservative, yeah. But I mean, salt is the preservative. Pretty much, yeah. Um. But I guess I'm sure they mean... Well, I guess uh, all natural would be the... the yeah, in, in this one, they're claiming that sodium benzoate was put in there uh, in t to have benzoic acid as the chemical preservative. Right. Uh, to make them last longer. And it was not labeled. But again, And again, I would say that any pickle that says it's fresh, if it's not a cucumber, it ain't. <laughs> uh, where is... Because there's, uh, there's a sentence that they say, read as fast as you can. Quote, Whole Foods sold refrigerated pickles well before adding Patriot Pickles to its shelves, but its previous pickles were packed by Herman Pickles. Grillo's complaint alleges that Herman Pickles had a different formula and packaging. So they're saying that Whole Foods dropped Herman and went to Patriot, and Patriot had stolen Grillo's recipe and structure. Right. And generally, there is no way to, like, copyright a recipe or trademark a recipe. However... If it's in a co-packing situation and it's protected by an NDA, then yes, yeah. there there is a way to to do that. Now, how do they prove it? How do they? I don't know. I imagine that this is the kind of thing that will just be settled. Obviously, Whole Foods is owned by Amazon, and they're much more likely to just throw money at it rather than trying to go through the entire process of of being litigated. And yeah. Such. And again, and uh, I hope it's not Frank Grillo because he will kill everybody. That dude's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> Is he from Jersey? I don't know. Because Grillo's Pickles is Jersey. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's one of those things that is uh, an age-old issue, right? It's like, we have this thing. You came along, you stole it, and you're packaging it for now for Whole Foods. Yeah. And selling more or less the identical thing for cheaper. It's the, what, right. the Hydrox Oreo situation? Yeah, exactly. But everyone knows that Oreos are still superior because it's not a, an even-over thing. And, uh, um, but, yeah, I mean, companies when they want to save money or whatever or in this case it seems that they were like uh oh, let's do a pickle taste test and it's like oh hey patriot pickle your pickles are better than herman's pickles so let's we're gonna have you make the 365 whatever whatever the whole foods brand is uh yeah we're gonna have you make the pickles from now on um new improved taste or whatever and girl's like wait a minute those are our pickles and you're yeah. selling them now for cheaper this one in particular excuse me oh I was up at 5 this morning to go for an 11-mile bike ride. Kind of tired. Uh, <laughs> pickles in particular are tough to make some sort of a claim about like this if it's not a particularly flavored thing, right? 
because there's only just so many different ways you can make a pickle, man. Right. If it's a, if it is a dill cucumber pickle, there's only so many ways you can come at that, and a lot of them are very similar. Now, let's talk about the pickles that you gave me because they're fucking delicious. What what are these pickles you gave me? I don't have the jar in front of me. Um, uh, pawpaws pickles. Pawpaw as in a person, like uh, that's what I'd call my grandpa. Pawpaw, not pawpaw like the city or the uh, fruit. Um, pawpaw's pickles, ah. which we got at the pickle fest in um, Berrien Springs. Because you, rightly so, got me the extra garlic ones. They're amazing. I made sort of like a Cubano sandwich, except it didn't have pulled pork in it. It was ham and turkey, Swiss cheese, mayo, mustard, and those pickles. Uh, holy smokes, those are good pickles, right? So, like, if somebody were to make a version of those and tell me that it's their own thing, I would be like, oh, these taste a lot like Papa extra garlic pickles. However, if it's just a straight up, like, here's a dill pickle, yeah, it's, there is a very specific amount of things that go into that, and it's not yeah. going to be that much different pickle to pickle, you know. Well, and it doesn't say, but one um, in the in there about the lawsuit, uh, whether it's one of, you know, what kind of pickle it is, if it's just straight up dill, yeah. because, yeah, I mean, if you're saying that, that we stole your straight up dill recipe and you're saying the ingredients are about the same, it's like, well, it's a dill pickle. <laughs> yeah. The timing is suspicious that that uh, uh, Frank Grillo canceled his contract with Patriot Pickles or Patriot Packers, and then they immediately started making a pickle of their own. That is suspicious. So that does lend credence to they did that. However, like, yeah, to a certain degree, pickles are pickles. Yeah. Well, I mean, and not this isn't that dissimilar from when we were looking at the sriracha stuff. Right. And um, how how much of a bigger deal that really is, like, because it's easy to say that uh, the reason that there's a shortage of sriracha is because of the there's drought conditions in Mexico where they're getting their peppers. Right. And um, there's fewer peppers, but exacerbated by the fact that they had farms in California that were exclusively growing peppers for sriracha. And yeah. at one point, and it's hard to it's hard to. Um, figure out where who exactly is to blame but my guess is that uh sriracha uh what is it huifong huifong uh, yeah um that that company someone in that company was like you know what we can get this for cheaper if if we um so they what they did is they created a separate company that was going to be buying the peppers now what precipitated that i don't know whether there was some sort of schism or something between the two companies um but they 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 spun off their purchasing to this other company that was going to buy the peppers for Huifong to make sriracha, and we're going to be paying this farm less per pepper or less per pound or whatever, however they sell them per bushel um, for the peppers. This is all from memory, so I won't be getting <laughs> right. some of this wrong. So th so that farm was like, well, th this you know we're going to be making a lot less money. We're not into this. Sorry. So we're not going to sell exclusively to you anymore. And then they went to make their own sriracha, yeah. um, not necessarily using the same recipe, definitely using the same peppers. And Hui Fong um, was like, then we're not going to buy any peppers from you and kind of cut them off. And like, we're going to go buy peppers from somewhere else and created this huge mess. But that that sort of relationship um, between producer and um, manufacturer, <laughs> if that's what we want to call them, um, is uh 
is a similar type of situation where, well, we don't need you Patriot yeah. Pickle anymore. And they're like, well, fine, we'll make our own pickles. And th- these guys were like, we're, <laughs> we don't we don't need you anymore, Pepper People. And they're like, well, fine, we'll make our own Sriracha. And uh, yeah. gets gets complicated and dramatic real quick. Again, it's down to customer service. If you are dealing with another human being and there's a transaction going on, it's down to customer service. Like, you don't lose your farm deal if everybody is playing nice. You know? Yeah, or, or if any, if everybody feels appreciated and uh, compensated correctly for what they're doing. As soon as somebody feels jilted, like wait a minute, you're trying to you're trying to squeeze an extra three, uh, you yeah. know, million pounds of peppers out of me for free or whatever. This ain't right. Don't you understand what we're going through? Um, and there were lawsuits there about you know, pepper picking I- I- implements. <laughs> so many P's in the English language. There's there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, that uh and and that kind of thing which hui feng lost um they had to pay the uh uh farm uh, you know a couple million dollars or whatever um, it was a contract uh violation thing right yeah that's what they stipulated because they had sort of helped create is what uh hui feng said they helped create these farming uh uh implements in order to pick the peppers or whatever um for harvesting and and because they weren't then reimbursed for that and the farmer's still using them is my understanding that, hey, you can't just do that because we created those with you. So um, it's a contract violation for you to be using these to create your own stuff or whatever. Yeah. I don't know the ins and outs <laughs> of it. But feelings got hurt. Lawsuits were filed is the basic gist of it. Yeah. I bet nobody got tipped. Yeah, no, nobody got tipped. Well, darn tootin' that the uh, most uh, uh, probably uh, – uh, migrant farmers that were picking the peppers didn't get tipped. Yeah, yeah, that's also probably accurate. Uh, you know what? I have one last article, but then after that, that wraps me up for today. How are you? Is there anything we're we're missing? No, I mean, well, yeah, a lot, but we always do. So, uh, yeah, what's your last <laughs> article? Well, this is from Food Safety Food Safety News. Once again, my favorite uh, daily email that I get. Labor Department (laughs) nabs another child labor violator from July 7th of this year. Child labor violations of employing minors have cost a Minnesota meat plant $30,000 in fines imposed by the U.S. Department of Labor. It is the latest in fines for the meat industry paid for its child labor practices. I don't think they're practicing. I think they've gotten pretty good at employing children. I don't think that we should call it child labor practices anymore. Tennessee-based Monogram Meat Snacks was accused of employing minors at its production plant in Chandler, Minnesota. Again, this is another Texas Pete thing. So Monogram Meat Snacks, Tennessee-based, work's being done in Minnesota. Yeah. Labor Department investigators found two underage employees at Monogram's Minnesota plant on March 28th. Children are at risk for injury and pose a threat to food safety when cleaning equipment. Uh, I don't see in this article where there's not a ton of uh, uh, detail about the kids themselves, right? Which they're minors, so there really shouldn't be. So it does not say how old they actually are. Yeah. And it goes into uh, more detail about JBS and PSSI, which we've covered in previous episodes. Yeah. It is worth noting. Quote, the plant employs 400 people and produces meat snacks, including refrigerated sausages. Monogram also runs the Monogram Food Loves Kids Foundation, which claims to raise funds for children's charities in the communities where it operates. That's hilarious that they are employing children at the same time that they claim to run a foundation that helps children. 
Yeah, I also thought it was uh, some nice shade throwing there by Food Safety News to uh, in insert claims instead of yeah, saying, yeah. which raises funds for children's <laughs> charities. No, no, which claims to raise funds for children's charities, drawing into question uh, whether or not it oh, does for so. Sure, for sure. Um, what, what they don't say is the full name of it is Monogram Foods Loves Kids Working in Their, in their Meatpacking Plants <laughs> Foundation. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are still undergoing in this country uh, debates about whether or not to lower the child labor age in a number of predominantly red states. And unequivocally, all of these are bad ideas for two reasons. First off, we raised the age at which you could work for a number of very good reasons, because children yeah. are being taken advantage of, because it's dangerous, all sorts of stuff. The other reason is I don't want to employ children because they're fucking awful. They're <laughs> irresponsible. They're not good at things, right? So let's not start doing that on the regular because at some point it'll get to my industry. Yes, I started working when I was 14. I'm an outlier, right? Like I was good from the very beginning because I happened to find my way into an industry that I was already kind of good at. That is not going to be the case for everybody, right? You're going to have kids working in jobs uh, probably against their will and they're going to be terrible at it. Do we want terrible work going on really come on yeah why don't we lower the driving license age and then make all these kids work for uber eats how about that make it make seven dollars an hour <laughs> well they're gonna have to get to work somehow so we're gonna have to lower the driving age <laughs> Jeez. unreal yeah and i mean the the thing is and we've talked about this as well there there are ways for underage um kids to work with parental consent um and and if if they're only working between certain hours and uh, only yeah. doing certain certain things, you can still employ kids from you know that are that are under the age of employment otherwise. So there are ways for that to happen. There's just sort of guardrails in place to ensure that they're not exploited. Um, exactly. And and what some people want to do is remove those guardrails, um, so that we can hire people because we need to hire people, but it's real short-sighted because that leads to what human trafficking, which these states also yes. say they're very against. So yes. can't have it both ways, guys. Oh, let's finish up this then because I did have a thought, which was rather than employing minors because we just need bodies in places, why don't we look at more and better and more efficient automation? And you had sent me an article about Autocado which yes. is the Chipotle proprietary avocado peeling and smashing machine. Yeah. Kayla actually found this and sent it to me. I don't know how she found it. Maybe she's on some robot list serve. <laughs> uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? So broadly, what I like about this is that it's clearly not a robot designed to look like a person and mimic human motions and stuff. It looks like a fridge. And all these avocados go into it and like an avocado puree comes out the other side fine that sounds like the kind of automation i am here for yeah um so is it just making the puree or is it actually making the guacamole, guacamole. the article that i read sh said that it was not actually making the guacamole they were leaning very heavily into the oh no no nobody's losing their job this is just making their job easier and it's decreasing labor by like 30 hours a week or something. And yeah. people are still having to make the actual mix of guacamole. But you and I talked separately about this, which is there are sensors out there for salinity, for acidity, things like this. 
And really, with guacamole, after you've added a certain amount of tomatoes and cilantro to it, all you're doing then is playing a juggling act between lemon juice and salt to get the acidity and the salt levels to balance out so that it's good. You can test for that. You could make a batch that tastes good, calibrate your sensors for that, and tell the machine, do this. Yeah. So is this step one toward removing that human element from guacamole production that's at Chipotle completely? Yeah. Am I okay <laughs> with that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's the kind of automation we should have in place. Well, and just in terms of even um, peeling and, co and coring or removing the stone from avocados, uh, avocado seems like a pretty decent fruit to create a machine for in terms of the skin is pretty hardy and thick for removal by a machine, the stone is is yeah. hard, and uh, for removal via either suction cup or I, I would love to see you whack it with your knife and just pull it out. Um, but that seems like a time-consuming process that that uh, um, is meant for. I mean, like if you can have a machine do it, that's great because yeah. it's it's time-consuming, but it it doesn't get you much other than a bunch of peeled avocados. Oh, and yeah, the worst part about making guacamole is all the things that that machine does for you, right? Yeah. Like, it's dangerous, it's sloppy, it's messy. All that's terrible. So, yeah, please, have a fridge-looking robot do that part for me. Fuck yeah, I'm in. And judging by this picture, that that they are, um, or this kid, <laughs> who might be underage, uh, is holding <laughs> a giant a stainless steel bowl of halved and cored, if that's what we say, uh, avocados, which is... Um, by dangerous, it's because you have to take the knife all the way around, right? What's the process involved in doing this to an avocado? So I stand an avocado up because it's kind of oblong, and I cut across the top until I hit the core, till I hit that seed, and then I cut all the way around, rotating the avocado, twist it so that it comes apart into two pieces, and you're absolutely right. Tap the seed with the flat of the blade, like with the, with the, the blade itself, the sharp part of the blade, but as close to the bolster as I can get. And then you pull that out, but then you have to remove the seed from the blade itself. And that part is dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and then to get it out of the skin, and the skin usually comes off in one piece, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all, and all of that with people flinging knives around if you need a lot of guacamole. Um, yeah. Yeah, can get get a little dicey, no pun intended. So, um, yeah, if all that can be done in a machine <laughs> that then a child has to clean, that's great. <laughs> Overnight, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They <laughs> ignore their schooling, man. So yeah, I'm in I'm in favor of that, and it it almost makes me want to put together a list of things from a kitchen perspective of like, man, it would be nice if this was automated on a small scale, right? Like you can get lots of prefab stuff, right? We call yeah. precuts, so you can get diced onions and potatoes and and tomatoes and cucumbers and all that kind of stuff if you're making huge batches of soup or whatever uh but if that could be done in-house by a machine that's specifically for that or it could be calibrated to do a number of those things so you're like push the potato button throw a bunch of potatoes in there that would be rad right i am sure a fair amount of that stuff exists uh there's a company called samic that makes a whole lot of you know whisk like uh, uh, stick blenders and uh roboku kind of things and they have a lot of chopping and dicing sort of machines but they all still require that human element they all look fabulous don't get me wrong but you know you're putting a potato in and you're pulling a lever and it pushes the potato through kind of thing if there was something more like a robot that would be cool what i'm just thinking about what, things that are annoying to do <laughs> yeah what they don't tell you and what i think would make the kitchen look even more like a pirate ship 
is the fact that this machine has to be run by Dishy. <laughs> nice. Each each robot that that's fridge looking like this is run by if not the same guy doing your dishes is run by another dishy. So pretty soon you have yeah. the whole entire kitchen staffed by dishies um, that are doing the prep, and uh, you know when they're not out smoking. Looking at this article, it did occur to me that you could design this autocado to look like a gonk droid. So it had little stubby legs <laughs> out the bottom of it, and it could walk around just dispensing avocado puree everywhere. I mean, if the, if you could get it to actually make the avoc- uh, the guacamole entirely, that would be great. I forget where I went with my in-laws, I think, to a taco place down near Tampa. And uh, it was good. I, I remember it being good. Uh, but they made, like, hey, we'll come out and make the guacamole at your table. And right. the thing that I remember about that was, like, the, the mortar and pestle was, like, made of pumice yeah. or something. And I kept thinking, there's so much guacamole just getting mashed into that bowl that is irretrievable <laughs> because yeah. of its porous nature, but maybe was helpful because it was maybe a little sharp to, to mash everything up. I don't know, but it's like, we you lost like 30% of your guacamole into that bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they should give you something to, to scrape it out with. Yeah, you, but you'd need like a toothbrush or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, that's as much as I have for today. And unfortunately, our connection is starting to get worse and worse. Um, yeah. <laughs> anything else you wanted to, to say before we wrap up here? Uh, n- uh, no, I think I'm good. Well, maybe just touch on one other thing, because I don't think we have to talk on it long, is the article you sent me, United Flight to Amsterdam reportedly diverted to Chicago over <laughs> meal choice. Yeah. Um, there's nothing about that that makes any sense to me, because uh, airline food... Uh, it's airline food. Yeah. Even high-quality airline food is not going to end in a ball pit, so just live with it and take well, a flight to Amsterdam, where you can do the I would like to apologize. <laughs> I'd like to apologize in advance, in case this is someone who had a severe allergy or had a, a, a religious or cultural dietary requirement, and the airline was not able to provide that, because... Houston to Amsterdam is a seven and a half hour flight or something like that. You have to feed your passengers during that, yeah. right? However, you're going to cause so much trouble that they're going to divert an entire flight of people. What's that? Three, four hundred people? Yeah. From Houston to Amsterdam, they're going to make it land in Chicago. And in the article, they mentioned that they had to circle the, they had to circle O'Hare for two hours to burn up as much fuel as they could because otherwise the plane would be too heavy to safely land. And then that person was getting arrested yeah, and removed from the plane over a meal? You fucking high? Over, yeah, Ooh. over airline beef? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. I didn't order the Salisbury steak. I wanted the chicken parmesan. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, hey, they're everywhere. And I bet the stewardesses didn't get a tip. Ba-dum-tsh. Couldn't have picked a better starting city for that article, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, agree. I did not enjoy my time in Houston. Sorry, everybody in Houston, but this tracks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's leave it there, Steve. Yep. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever gotten thrown off an airplane because you didn't like your Salisbury steak, or <laughs> if you have a uh, classic ice cream or burger kind of a thing that's native only to your area of the country or world, please let us know. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com we have a facebook page and a facebook group my instagram is chef ben randall where you can see all of my 
peppers and tomatoes that I'm growing and the bread and that big pork shoulder that I did yesterday, that sort of thing. Also, Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. And that's where you can get background information on all the articles we uh, reference in the show and things that we end up running out of time and not talking about, which mm -hmm. is just more and more things these days. Unfortunately, there's lots of news. Yes. Because you know, very, very little of it is any good. Yeah. Which has been the case, like we've been doing this show for like seven years now. Things have just gotten worse, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like. Yes, as anyone doing a show before the pandemic and still doing a show. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, for In the Weeds of Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. We'll talk at you maybe next week. When do you come back from Connecticut? Uh, we come back on Sunday. So if we can record Monday or something, we can do it. Otherwise, uh... yeah, that works for me. So we'll talk to you in like a week and a half. Cool. <laughs>